Welcome to the Lit Podcast, presented by Culturally Lit. Culturally Lit is an organization created to amplify and cultivate awareness of the arts of the African diaspora. The Lit Podcast will feature artists and arts programming that enhance the significance of the culture for everyone. Listen and be enlightened. The Lit Podcast is produced by Baobab Tree Studios. And tonight, we're going to talk about DiasporaCon. DiasporaCon is a conference to amplify and enhance and expose (laughs) the opportunities and creativity of comic and graphic arts. And we have tonight our historian, our comic historian of the state of Connecticut and throughout, Dr. William Foster, Professor William Foster. Thank you. And our own Lit Fest, culturally lit staff, coordinator of all things, Auntie J. Julius. Hello, everybody. Greetings. We're here to talk about DiasporaCon. And we came up with DiasporaCon because First of all, everyone loves, a whole lot of folks are loving the comic books. Comic cons are real popular all over the world mm-hmm. and, and selling out. And a lot of them have, we have, we, we show up as people of color and there's a lot of opportunities and we, and, and we want to expose the opportunities and um, Bill Foster, Dr. Foster, can address a lot of the history of the comic industry and Black people in the comic industry. We're going to have him do that. And then Auntie J is going to talk about all the popularity of the DiasporaCon and things to come. Excellent. Go ahead, Doc, Professor Foster, take it away. Thank you so much, my sister. Um, I have been a comic book historian for a number of years. And uh, I enjoy what I do. But I think one of the most important things about this is that one of the reasons that I've been uh, one of the people who was called whatever we're putting together Black people is that it was a problem for years. You could go to any conference, no matter how large it was, how many people were there, how small it was, they would have one panel with for Black people to talk. Like somehow that would be enough to cover all the work that we have done in the last, let's get it on the reel, since 1947, when the first Black independent comic work was produced, to right now where there is a myriad of books done by a number of different people and a number of different organizations. <clears throat> for someone to suggest that I could handpick five or six Black people to speak for the entire industry was an insult. And so one day I was at one, and the brothers and sisters were standing around. They said, this is outrageous. And the guy says, I have a connection at a local university. I can have us in a room there tomorrow. We're going to start our own con. 20 years ago, we did that. And now there are cons all across the country with specific interest in people of color, people of African heritage, and the number of sisters who are doing the work. I mean, as artists and writers and producers and editors is expanding every day. I'm very excited to be a part of that. I'm thrilled that we're bringing it to Connecticut because I'm going to look around, see anybody saying attention. This is the home of the American comic book. 
not enough people know it. Not enough people are going to give uh, weight to it. I've mentioned it to people who have been doing presentations. I said, listen, we could do this in Connecticut, and nobody gets it. But now that milieu, of that medium of comic books and graphic novels has expanded exponentially. I thought I'd use a college word in it. The expanded exponentially, and that there are more people getting involved as creators, as writers, as distributors. This is the time for diaspora come. And Auntie J, you have been a comic connoisseur <laughs> for many years and attended many and participated in mm -hmm. many comic cons. And so give us a, a, a view of your experience about going to comic cons and, and finding or looking at. Yeah. So my, my first experience of comic con um, goes back to like the late nineties when my mom brought me to one of the comic conventions that she randomly found in a newspaper because she knew her kid re read Thor books and, you know, was an X-Men reader. And, you know, we went to uh, collect. And so as a kid, I, you know, it was about collection or about buying things as I've gotten older. And as I've, as I've traveled and went to comic con in, in Jakarta in 2016, um, sort of getting an experience of like what what's going on over in the Asian diaspora and what they're talking about and how, you know, a lot of their books were talking about fascism and communism and the things that were happening over in Southeast Asia, right? And their characters that they were building on top of the very popular characters too. Um, then to then attend Comic-Con here in New York City in 2021, which was almost a two-year break for Comic-Con. Um, it was one of the very first times I started to realize and have these conversations with the people in Artist Row and the vendors, where were we? And 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 bringing that back to uh, Coachly Lit and Lit Fest, it was, a, it was a serious conversation for us to say, how do we make an impact of like, of that question, right? So one of the biggest questions was, is that people, the need to follow through, the need to distribute, how do you publish? How are you, how are you working on this on top of your daily grind? How are you making this passion your main passion? Um, and, and like any artist, I feel like that's a question that we ask all the time is how do we make this thing we love a reality? And I think that's what's important about DiasporaCon and what we're going to be doing with this particular conference is helping people find uh, lanes and pathways and connecting them with um, true uh, professionals in the industry that are going to focus on, on on that knowledge. Because sometimes I think what happens is, is that, and, and Dr. Foster can probably attest to this, is the gatekeepers don't realize they're gatekeepers until someone calls them out on it right you know we don't we don't get a a black trans character until someone has had to write multiple books and call out for how they write the black trans character right and how they make them a a a, a singular two-dimensional character because they happen to fit a diversity quota right we've got we've got some major writers out there now doing the, the work of building three-dimensional, four-dimensional characters that have real personalities, real dynamics, and actually look like my friends, your friends, and, 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 and people that are 
living in the world, right? In the sense of, 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 of personality and how they deal with, with things, right? We all know superheroes are kind of a, an amalgamation of what we hope and dream and our own mythologies, but we read these things because we want escape, but we read these things because we want to see ourselves, you know, we want to see ourselves winning. We want to see ourselves falling in love. We want to see ourselves, uh, you know, if, for lack of better words, if you were, if you were uh, a, a, a Captain America fan and you watched uh, the the Netflix show, then you know that there was a black Captain America, right? For a lot of folks who, who weren't aware about a lot of the the stuff that's gotten swept under reboot and reboot, right? And and how amazing that that storyline in the Falcon and Winter Soldier show on Netflix talked about the fact that they swept this man underneath the carpet, and he was the he was the black captain america and how much of that is r relevant today you know especially in this climate so i think diasporacon really is about us kind of cracking open the box and saying how do we how do we keep telling our story how do we keep developing those stories um and i'm really excited to be um working with our entire group and dr foster on building this out i think it's going to be really exciting so and a little bit of history to the to our audience is that this evolved from the Elm City Lit Fest, which is a celebration of literature, literary arts, and literary artists of the African diaspora. In our first year in 2020, we did a panel as a part of the conference on on black comics and, and graphic novels, which was led by Dr. Foster. And as we were um, planning the next literary festival um, and, and found, got more, more and more information, and as um, Julius came on in our second year, and we found out that like this, is, this industry is phenomenal and it's growing, growing. I was going to sneeze, sorry. And, <laughs> and, I was like, wow, like we, what culturally lit, what Elm City Lit Fest evolving to culturally lit, the umbrella culturally lit is to amplify the arts of the African diaspora. And, and um, Comic-Cons, uh, having a, a conference to, to um, it expose people to the opportunities and to the art, there's art, there's story, there's there's all kinds of product, there's production, publication, all the things that go into it. So, Dr. Force, I want to ask you, can you just explain to us what a Comic Con is and like how did if if you know how did they evolve? Oh, most certainly. Um even in back in the 60s. I know that was a while ago. There were, when fans of comic books would go to different places to, to swap comics, the company suddenly found out that they had a market where they could get their writers come and sign or their artists, you know, and sign. At that point, they weren't even giving people credit, but people knew styles when they saw them over and over again. So that's kind of where it started. Fans, they always had a conduit for fans to write letters to the company. I don't know what they ever did with them. You know, um, several of the, uh, of the uh, most popular writers that's how they got their start. Um, Richard uh, 
Grasshopper Green, who was an African-American who did a lot of the comic book titles. He wrote his own and he had, he got a lot of work in the, the underground market. He started off doing a fan magazine. And if you can find a copy of it, yeah, it's almost in, impossible to find, but it's certainly worth a lot of money now because it represents a part in our history. But the same thing that happens uh, whenever we get involved is we want to see ourselves. The question I would often ask somebody who's putting a con together would say, what if a spaceship lands on Earth? I don't want to say a city because in England, they always land in London. In the United States, they always land in Washington. And then in Japan, they always land in Tokyo. I said, what happens if you land and suddenly everybody that gets off the ship has a very distinctive African look? Has that story ever been done? I'm still waiting for it. And somebody's going to write it. The idea that um, we can tell the truth and then we can tell what the truth might have been. There were, I, what, very few black people in the, in the space program when it finally got really open. But if you look at stories written in the 1950s where space was the place to be, a very prominent story came out in the early 50s where the astronaut was black. People, Some people lost their minds. Some people never forgot and carried it on. When you see black women writing stories that have black women in them, big surprise, duh. But if also, we, have, we want to attach all of the different parts of who we are. Are we gay? Are we straight? Do we, are we ministers? Are we politicians? Barack Obama almost broke the bank. What he mentioned in an in a interview, just as an aside, he loved comic books. Marvel jumped to get him in their book. They did. And everybody got you know copies of it. So not only was he <laughs> promoting the book, he was in the books. And he you met know? Spider-Man. And that would have been the moment I would have been there. And also, he became a superhero in several of them. He became Superman in one of them, you know, and he still is Superman in that particular universe. So mm -hmm. Wonder Woman had a black sister who was introduced in the 70s. I've, I've gotten more Lupia. students that didn't know that. Yep. You know, um, they had no idea who she was. I said, she has all the, something think about what an Amazon is. An Amazon, they were supposedly not born, but they were created. Mm -hmm. And they were created with every race. And let's face it, that wasn't what America was, was promoting back in the day. Okay, I love the guy who created Wonder Woman because he created her outside of you know men superheroes. He said that she had, of course, they the guys who were drawing them always said draw with chains. We'll talk about that later. Okay, but the idea was that there are a lot of different ways we could connect to all of our ethnicities, all of our uh, sexuality, all of our you know. Does every black person have to be from the ghetto and speak jive? Okay. Think of what would happen if, uh, if President Obama, who speaks perfect English and he speaks other languages as well, off the top, as he said, hey, brother, what's happening to the first press conference he ever did? We'd have never lived that down and never would have been done. There are people who expect that anyway. Then there are people who didn't want him to be black because he was from, you know, several different, you know, his parents were from several different parts of the world. You know, so they want to still play that. That's politics of God knows in the 40s and 50s. We are heading into the new century. That's what this, no, this particular uh, conference is about. What's there for us in the new century? If you have an idea, if you got a crayon and you got a piece of paper, that's where you can start your journey into creating images that look like us, speak like us, or who we should be represented as. I'm sorry, I kind of preaching. Y'all didn't get No, that, I mean, that we're here for the information because uh, in, in presenting this diaspora con, I want 
the under, I want people to have the understanding that there are opportunities, there are vocational opportunities. A lot of times when um, black people may, families may have young children that are, are drawing, are making characters. And, and, you know, we always think of vocations as doctor, lawyer, engineer, all these things. And these are our opportunities present themselves in this industry that can be virtual. Absolutely. can be um, carried into generational wealth and, and build things like there's NFTs now, Julius. Can you mm-hmm. can you help us with the NFT connection? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> I, I, in a, in a, so I I can talk about a little bit about NFTs. <laughs> NFTs are this thing. I don't know much about blockchaining, but blockchaining mm-hmm. is this this encrypted way of like of of setting art and building it off of different programs and creating authentic pieces of art that allow to be outside of what is the the white gallery space and i'm not talking about white gallery wall space i'm talking about the white gallery space and it it provides it provides artists this opportunity to make art and then to have the individual whoever the individual is to be able to purchase it um i i, I would definitely not uh, rely on my necessarily resources for this. But one of the things I did wanted to bring up to you, to the group was what Milestone did last year during their DC um, call, which really made me say, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing right now because we're following, we're following what the big boys are doing. And Milestone last year had, so DC, DC did their, uh, they do this virtual conference of everything that's coming up. Maybe their shows, their movies, the, 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 the Arrowverse, what's happening on HBO Max, all of it. And this year, um, Milestone it, uh, has announced that they started a black and brown POC-based um, uh, mentorship and creation process. And milestone being supported by dc comics and them actually becoming their own thing again um with that financial backing is phenomenal because milestone is one of those comics if you grew up like me you know i was about third i was about 15 16 and static shock was one of the biggest cartoons at that time he was one of the first black young high school kids that like you know, had this power, lived that life. You know, there was, he had a juxtapose of like in the precipice of the hood, but also living in the suburbs and trying to be the cool kid, but wasn't the cool kid because he was a nerd. And like, he spoke to a lot of us. He spoke to a lot of us, uh, especially those those of us who lived in areas where our parents did black flight, right? Tell us a little bit about Milestone. Who is Milestone? What is Milestone? So Milestone Comics is a uh, comic book uh, company that started in 1993 uh, by Dwayne Duffy, Danes Cowan, uh, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dinkin, um, Dingle. Um, and the founders observed that minorities were severely underrepresented in America comics and wished to address this. And some of their major characters that some of our viewers might have heard of 
um, were uh, Static Shock, um, the Blood Syndicate, I Icon, and Rocket. Icon, yep, Rocket, um, and and some of these characters um, were in what Milestone called uh, for a lot of our comic folks who are listening the Dakota verse, um, sort of based in this uh, city called Dakota, and. And what it did and what they did for black comics and for those of us growing up in the 90s was change the they, they, they leveled the playing field. They created characters that allowed us to start to see ourselves in a time where you. In the time where like you were still trying to shift of like where Luke Cage was in that in that post black exploitation right? Uh, Falcon being uh uh, 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 Captain America's sidekick, right? It was no longer about like hood characters or, or you, the best friend characters. It was about setting the characters on their own heroic arc journey, right? And and that's that's what Milestone is did. And to see them do this thing that we are trying to do, which is provide opportunity, right? They're, they're literally taught, like I was so hyped watching this and i was like i can't even draw but i'm hyped for this the fact that they're like we want we want you to come and learn and we want to develop and we want to create and we want you to understand the basis of this because what it's going to do is what you just said help people to create generational wealth bring people into the pathways of the arts bring you into the thing that you love like you if you were that kid that drew in high school and your parents were like that's never going to give you money and yet, like, that was the thing that brought you passion and, and you were working on characters and you've been putting them off to the side. Like, just imagine if Milestone had did that. Just imagine if those four black men was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're not seen in comic books, but it's an idea. Mm. You know, like, I don't I don't think we would have gotten I don't think we would have gotten where we are today with seeing one of the highest grossing films Black Panther. And, you know, like Milestone was that connecting point for so many other black writers and, and, and artists that came through, you know? So that's just the perspective I wanted to bring up and connect it back to Diasporacon is we really are trying to find the way to provide our, our, our coming audience and, and participants this opportunity of this isn't your regular comic con right we want to definitely distinguish that this isn't your regular comic con this is this is the uh sort of the battlefield yeah this is this is the behind the scenes the battlefield of like how do you get ready to attack with that idea so that way your book can get out there so you can figure out how to publish so you can be the next you know i for a lot of us that grew up right we didn't know a lot of uh there weren't a lot of i guess and for me and i'm speaking for myself i'm i'm a 40 something uh jim lee was our hero and jim lee was one of the first major asians in the industry that changed the game for so many people so i think we need that black jim lee i think we need that that person that's saying i'm going to change the way we look at books i'm going to make that shift and i think between what Milestone is doing and what, you know, some of our our 
special guest that we've not talked about yet are working on. I think we've got, I think we've got something that a lot of people will be excited about. Milestone also, if I may, mm-hmm. um, also addressed a major issue for independent black comic producers is that distribution was always their problem. Yep. When Milestone went to DC, DC distributes all over the place. That's what their primary purpose in joining DC was. It wasn't for creative control because they kept that. But the idea is that once you get your hands on a book, you can do whatever you want. And it reminds me about how it relates to history. Pullman Porters, first union of black people before the NAACP. And they had a system for wherever the trains went. A lot of people don't know this because it's not that well-known history. Black newspapers, a lot of um, railroads wouldn't carry them. Pullman Porters would bring them on and drop them off for the field. Somebody had a a place to pick them up and they always got distributed. The same way that this is a way for people to distribute their books as far as they want. It used to be that people would say, well, all you need is a website. Well, no, you need more than that. And the idea is that this is a wonderful place for this to happen. I also want to emphasize, too, that there is, um, as part of the lit part, is literacy. And and Julius is, has been in education. And, Doc, and Professor Foster, you too, you, you we experience education. I'm on the board for literacy volunteers. I am a literacy volunteer and it is really important. Um, and a significant piece of this as, as we present this, that like reading comic books is some, is, is a start for people like young, young people might not read a thick book, but they'll read a comic book. It'll stir up their imagination. The stories have continuity. There's consistency. There's there's a the storylines and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about that, if you may, um, Dr. Forster and then Julius. Oh, no problem. Words and pictures. Um, if you go, that speaks the story of storytelling. It goes back way back, you know, before we came to a page. But when you stop to think about what America was like at the turn of the of the last century early 1900s. A lot of immigrants who did not speak English did not read English, but their kids were going to school. How many stories of young kids reading to their grandparents or in front of their parents a story, and they always included comics and cartoons because those were very easy and they were transmittable from one culture to the next. A funny story is a funny story. How many kids knew who um, Chaplin was, Charlie Chaplin was, from his character, and then they had a character with very simple lines with the one in the books. That went around the world. People knew who exactly who he was. Um, you, when political cartooning was in, um, and people told stories about the evil being done around us, and you have to have an, an imagination to remember, to think about a world where a newsstand was an amazing place. That's where I picked up my comic books from. Yes. All languages, religions, pamphlets, I was going to say dream books, but some books don't even know what those were. So, you know, dream books and, and number numerology and all of that was at a, at a newsstand. So it was if you didn't know how to find a library, I bet you knew how to find a newsstand. So the idea is that we're bringing a message through everybody. Um, oh, and one thing I want to say 
because I've, I've heard it said more times than I can count, and it always breaks my heart, even from artists who are who are tremendously talented. They were told that comic books and uh, drawing books and, and selling wasn't going to get them anywhere, what a waste of your time. You need to do, no, just like you said, Sister Ife, they be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a whatever. But the idea was, if you were handling ideas, that made you an important person. I'm glad I didn't listen to anybody who was talking to me about that when I was a kid. Stop reading them funny books. Well, my mind got challenged, and I saw a world that I wanted to see put in place. Um, and I wanted to see people who looked like me. That's why I got involved. I didn't see, by the time I was reading comic books, you might have had a few black superheroes, but it took Marvel to put black people on the streets of New York. There were no black people on the streets of New York. I'm not going to call a TV show that had that. <laughs> Friends. But the idea was, is that we are everywhere. We are married. We are successful. We are intelligent. Where is the image to show our kids and other people who are not like us? This is who we are. That part. That part. That yeah. part. Okay. You can't be a perpetuator of negative stereotypes and expect no, you know, no bad result from that. But if you protect us as everything, you know how long it took to get the first black super villain because black people had to always be on the right side of whatever it was they were doing well we're just human beings too so let it go grandpa so i have you know we have a lot to discover and to discuss please don't think this is just going to be a highfalutin conversation you know among people who are in the industry this is going to be an entry conversation to people who want to get in the industry yes. you enjoy the stories let's find out how your story can get told that's exactly how i got involved is that i had stories about I'm surrounded by a very large family. I have a, um, friends who are in literature and in writing and in art um, saying we need to tell some stories that include us in all walks of life. That's what this kind of, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, comics saved me, to be completely frank with you. Um, comics saved me from from losing a sense of of like my that spark that like spark that like they say you know keep that childlike interest it never left and i'm and i think that's because i was able to access art i was able to access um comics but i really specifically say comics saved me because being bullied and like being the the sort of the outside kid to escape was to save your heart and save your soul. And, you know, I found myself uh, going on adventures with Thor. I found myself um, being excited that there was a, uh, a group of misfits that traveled together to, like, save people. You know, I, I learned about science that then later... I'm like, wait, isn't that the same science that I read back in the 80s? Like, you know, there was things that they were predicting in books and they were talking about it and they were being able to just explore. And yeah, there were moments where I think as I got older, right? I think as a child, we sometimes, when we don't, when we're not indoctrinated by the world, and let's be honest about that, right? When we're not indoctrinated by the world and we haven't been beaten down by the world, I think when we're looking at stuff, we don't necessarily aren't going for diversity. And, and yet again, I was a kid of the 90s. So the diversity was there, but it wasn't as heavy as it is for kids now. Right. Um, 
So for me, it was just about watching these stories, but these stories were about misfits. These stories were about outsiders. These stories about adoptees. These stories were about immigrants. These stories were about people I knew, right? And some kind of like kernel. And so for me, it was like, it allowed me to think outside the box. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that you can't take away from a child. You can't, you can't, you can't strip them of that because that, that's going to be the thing to actually make them think outside the box. If they decide to go to science and say, you know what? I found the cancer to cure. I found the cure to cancer. I thought about it this way. Yeah. Because um, I was able to, 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 to have that freedom to be able to do that. And I think that's what, I think that's the beauty of what comics and art and reading does. It creates that like, uh, that space for you as the individual to either imprint yourself onto those characters or just to escape into that world so you can see what kind of world do you want to build? What kind of world do you want to be a part of? Um, And it did. It helped my reading. It helped my reading like nobody's business. I mean, we're talking at the time it was 92, 93. You know, you got 10 bucks. You end up walking away with about six, seven books. I mean, six, seven books that are about 30 to 45 pages each. That's huge. And, and, and then you have your snacks and then you got your juice and then you go sit in Edgewood Park and you read all your books and you've just read over 115 pages. Right. Like, that's the thing I think that parents and my and I think that's what my parents didn't stop. They were like, he's reading. You know, it's interesting. Because that's exactly like me. But there's a one thing that we haven't talked about. Um, I don't think when I got I graduated from college, I didn't think I had the largest library of books. I really did. But when people who come by my house who never had been readers, where'd you get all the books? I say, oh, what books? Because my interest just flew. And there wasn't a book that I didn't want to read. And if I read it and I, I found I couldn't keep up with it, I would try something else. It included me in the world of literature and literacy. Mm. And my my vocabulary increased, Mm -hmm. you know, exponentially. Another college Mm -hmm. So, But the idea was that it just, and I've seen it happen over and over again. I give, I give books out all the time. I'm not just comic books, just books, because I got, that's how I got into it. Uh, I'm not going to tell any personal stories about that. We'll save that for the conference. But the idea is that um, this is an exciting idea. If people think this is just going to be boring, you must be kidding. Let me give you the other side of what we were just talking about. When the Black Panther movie came out, there were presentations for almost every opening showing in every theater across the country. This is what's coming up. And you know how Black people had a reputation for talking during movies? I got to tell you, everybody was talking during the movie, black and white, and they were talking to each other. They cheered at the same plots. They would silence the same parts. And I said, if this is happening in a movie theater, where it's relatively private, no one really can tell outside of this what you did. And everybody dressed up. Yep. And that's what I was going to say. Halloween, this is going to be real interesting to see what happens because, you know, because there were kids and adults and, and people, seniors dressing up. For cosplay, I said, this is an exciting phenomenon. Somebody's tapped into something I'd never seen before. They never, and the thing about it was, you said the word, 
adults who didn't even know what cosplay was was doing cosplay that that right there i was i mean i was shook i was like wow let's this talk is... about the cosplay part we're, we're not going to have that at this no. particular conference but let's talk about cosplay cosplay is huge cosplay cosplay yet again like comics explain it Oh, okay. Cosplay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. For those Thank who you, don't know, for those who don't know what cosplay is, cosplay is when you take an interpretation of a character and you build their costume, right? So for those who know Storm or Luke Cage or the Falcon or Nubia or Static Shock, you're looking at their costume. You're looking at the shape of it. You're going to the sewing machine. You're going to Joanne Fabrics. You're going to go ordering things offline, you are trying to build this piece. May it either be for a meetup, may it be for a Comic-Con, may it be for Halloween, may it be for uh, all, of them. all of it, a movie premiere, whatever it is, cosplay is about you embodying that uh, particular character. And the great thing about cosplay is, just like comic books, it can be interpreted any way you want. I've seen everything from a uh, 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 all male group of Sailor Moon to a uh, to female a female Boba Fett, yeah, to a female Boba Fett to a uh, 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 the the swapping of, of of Flash and Superman. Like, it's just people take their ideas and they just build these beautiful costumes. And the great thing about it is, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know what it was for a minute, and I remember one time in the in the early. 2010s i was i was in harlem and i was getting off of the train going to go see a friend and i see these this group of black kids and they got the, they've got long black jackets on and they've got these like things tied around their head that's metal and they've got gloves on and i was like what the hell is this and my friend was like i think it's cosplay and i was like and then I like I skip forward and I'm like, oh, they was dressed up as Naruto. And if you watch manga or if you read, you know, you're into anime, which is huge within our community. Right. Which is another uh, uh, thing that I think is being talked about anime, which is a Japanese form of animation that is a little bit different than regular cartoons. Right. Plots and things of that nature. Um, we're doing it. We're out there. You know, one of the most. uh Respected cosplayers lives in New Haven, and she's amazing. She does her her Instagram is uh, fifteen thousand strong, and she's just out here presenting what she loves, which is the the art of comics and 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 those and those characters that inspire her. It expands the idea that um, in my classroom, my uh, communication classroom, every year there was a fall semester we had speech and costume. I said, and they said, why are you doing this? I said, because you need an excuse to get dressed up for a day. Tell me doing it for a grade. Okay. I had one woman said, I was leaving the house. My daughter can't even wear a costume to her school. And she was mad because I was dressed up to go to school. <laughs> it just, you can be for a moment. You can experience the creativity. You can let your spirit fly free. I know people don't get that sometimes, but I got it every time because I saw students who were in their regular going to school clothes were miserable because people were making their life miserable. But the day they could wear their costume, they exploded into brilliance. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, we don't, we don't, I don't understand why that. Yeah, you probably never will. 
but mm-hmm. they in my class, leave them alone. It's um, a whole attitude. It's a whole attitude. Absolutely. And it's and it's not even just an attitude. It's a I did that. Right? It's a mood. It's a mood. It's a, it's a for, for those that don't know, a mood is when you when you in your in your stuff in your bag, right? Like it's it's not that I just did that. It's wait, I learned the pattern to sew this thing. I built this thing out of styrofoam and out of cardboard and out of, you know, I went and took my time and then took a sewing class at Joanne. And then it, it like, it's amazing. They allow yourself to be able to step outside of yourself to create something. Even if it doesn't have real relevance to like the real world, you just built some skills. You learned how to sew. You learned how to sketch out a design. You learned how to, just put the whole thing together and you did it yourself, which is like, I think if anyone that's ever done any kind of art, that's, that's amazing to have that accomplishment. And you came out of yourself for that day. Yes. People who try to put you into a box and you said essentially today, I'm not going to be there. Maybe tomorrow I won't be there either. I see students who just came full circle to who they were and all they were doing is they were dressed up like they in a way that made them feel comfortable and i understand some people who can can understand how that makes others feel uncomfortable but think about the person who's experiencing that their life potentially will never be the same yeah they'll take chances they never took before and not just about how they dress but how they think where they go who they speak to okay so this has a lot more range and a lot of people don't you know don't understand Thank you for breaking down cosplay, brother. I think that was well done. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I mean, I, you know, for me as a as a person who it was in this, I first, I I ha, I first, I'm gonna be guilty. I'm gonna go ahead and, and and acknowledge this guilt. I first I was like, what the hell is they wearing? But then I realized, who am I? Right. And 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 I think this is the I think this is the question that we've been sort of getting to. Who are we to then judge someone for wanting to use themselves as a creative expression, right? That that character, that story, that costume, that that short fan fiction, that that uh, fan film that you made, like all of that is creativity. You took the time to think about all of that, and like it translates into the real world. So. I think I, I'm gonna just say something, you know, to all the black aunties, to all the black grandmothers, dads, uncles, moms who are listening. Let them draw. Let them wear that costume. Let them learn. Teach them how. Let them sew. Give them that hot glue gun. Like, if they want to be a Spider Woman, if they want to be the next uh, uh, Ninja Turtle, Galligate, whatever. Listen, let, the let Harry Potter phenomenon. Right. Oh yeah. yeah, it was cool yeah. when he did it. What happened with us? It was it yeah. was like, oh, this it, those are thick books. It's like a series of what five, six books. Eight. And and kids wanted the glasses, they wanted the hat, they wanted mm-hmm. to take on the whole persona. And it's about empowering. Mm-hmm. And 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 what culturally lit does in amplifying the arts of the African diaspora is to is to showcase our our culture. I might be repeating myself, but no, no, no. Our, we start stuff. We started. We initiated. We have to be proud of that as we stand in this 
disunited states, mm. right? And uh, everyone, all the other, any other culture celebrates their culture. It's wonderful. We, when we have any kind of celebration of our culture, it's, it's deemed dangerous or dark or, you know, it, even the, like the Black Panther Party. It was the Black Panther Party for self-defense. Our community was not protected. We protected our community, and in the, and the, and then the the black tower that that um Alelia, um, Walker, Madam C J Walker's daughter started in Harlem. It was about it was about showcasing black art, and that is with the spirit that that Elm City Lit Fest and culturally lit is is emanating. Mm-hmm. We are emanating we are amplifying the the significance the significance of the african-american diaspora on the culture in in society today there was a young man who wrote i there was a judge for a um poetry contest for a summer poetry uh, group and the young man he didn't even know who i was i was one of the judges and he wrote a poem saying why can't there be a black Superman? Blew me away. And it was thoughtful. And he it was like a page long. It wasn't like he wrote, but he could have written just one paragraph and it would have still been fantastic. And I've never forgotten that. I've kept that poem. Um, turns out I knew who his mother was and I understood why he got to that freedom because she was certainly about promoting their kids as many ways as, as possible. But you, the story tells me that Somebody's waiting to be touched by a story that they can, you know, they could take someplace else. You know, a horse they could ride from town to the country and back again, and maybe ride around the world. That's the ideas we're looking at. And it could be a real simple story. It doesn't have to be a fanciful story. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got a story to tell. Exactly. And sometimes, but what we're doing, we're helping them find their voice. Exactly. And we're in 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 the process where what the intention is, is to cultivate self-awareness and self-pride and and, and embrace your culture amongst the cultures. And as well, we want others to see us and the significance of us and the brilliance of us (laughs) in all the splendor that we bring to the culture. We're not hating on nobody else. Absolutely not. We're not. Absolutely not. Amplifying what we have. Yeah, I think I think we are amplifying what we have, and I think we have to remind ourselves to amplify what we have. We have to make sure to not stifle someone because they are not fitting into this. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. There is no monolithicness of blackness. No. no. So we have to stop with this concept of that there is a monolith of blackness. If that child is expressing themselves and they happen to be a black child, they are a black child expressing blackness in, in whatever form that it is. And I want to make sure that people hear me on that because I think we are so very quick to demonize and to minimize things because we don't understand it. Right. And 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 as Dr. Foster and I both know from this experience of being comic book readers, that in itself is ostracizing, right? So 
we got to hopefully the world has opened up enough and there's been enough of us on the screen and in the books for folks to realize these are pathways to future careers. These are pathways of, of saving your or your life. You don't know if that book is saving that child. You don't know if that costume is is keeping that that spirit and that confidence going like that's these are things that are like important. Our mental health as as people are important. Right. And these are gate, gateways to healthy ways of dealing with stuff. And I think that that needs to be we need to be able to accept that. And I think we need to be able to accept that as, as a whole, as a group. So when you I see somebody in a Naruto costume, right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. Foster. No, when you see somebody in a Naruto costume or they want to be the Black Wonder Woman, then you go ahead, go ahead, baby, and be that Black Wonder Woman. Because there ahead. is a Black Wonder Woman. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Right. but here's the thing, too, I want to say, too, is that, and I, I'm surprised at this day and age and, and at my advanced age, I have to say this, but they have to say it. Pro-Black is not anti-white. Let nope. it go. Nope. It sure ain't. It's not. Nope. It sure ain't. It isn't. And the, a majority of my students, both black and white, got it. I'm very fortunate to see that when I was teaching. Um, can't let it go. Oh, what are you saying? I, I spoke English. The, yeah, you can ask me the question, but don't, do you have understanding for what the answer is going to be? Okay. So this is maybe part of the, of the you know, the company. You're not going to come, you know, and God forbid, in the day where the where the majority culture said who we were, criminals, dancers, entertainers, sports stars. God forbid we should be more than that in you know in somebody else's eyes. But here, everything's open. Yeah, everything. And the creativity abounds, and it doesn't stop. And, it does and not expression, self-expression, self-awareness is part of is part of how we heal. Mm -hmm. We have to recharge and rejuvenate and find ways to have joy in this world when there there at any moment can be some oppression posed upon us. We have in, in, one of the goals of the festival at, of the conference, not festival oh, of the conference. Me. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Phone call. Be right back. I'm here and outside here. Just a second, please. As well is that um oh, to, to 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 be to feel better about yourself. Absolutely. You know, it's about healing within community. It's about health and wellness. Self-expression is health and wellness. Free, being mm -hmm. Being free mm -hmm. to express yourself in in your color, mm -hmm. with color, mm -hmm. enhancing all the things that you embody, right? Absolutely. All the things that you are in, all the things that embody us, all that it helps with our well being. Absolutely, there's nothing worse than having to stifle things. No, mm -hmm. it not at all. And I think that we, I know that we aren't. And I know we're trying to reiterate this to to the people listening and watching is that this is not we know that this is not your traditional con, but we still want to provide that space to have the conversations of of connection. Right. Like, yeah, there's going to be some workshops. There's going to be some panels, but we also want to leave some time in there for you to connect, have that connection, have that that group who are, you know, where do you buy your books from or 
what are you reading right now? Or do you got a D&D campaign? Well, Dungeons and Dragons, for those who don't know. But like, <laughs> right? Like, wh where do you go to go play? Or are you going to Comic-Con in San Diego? Right? Like, the, the, the connections of who we are and what we love in this art form, because it is an art form, is, is part of us being able to heal and have those safe spaces. And I'm not going to lie. One of the things that I kept asking every time I went down an artist row was, where are we at? And they was like, well, some of us are here and some of us are there. And one sister said to me, she goes, I was on the wait list because I don't make enough money for them. So I have to wait to see who drops out for them me to get a booth. And I was like, ain't that some... And I was they, like, still, they still take your money, and they, but and, but also within what the one of the goals of this conference is is to build community. Yeah. Because one of the things is, like, you feel like if you go into the Javits Center to Comic Con and you you got off the wait list and got a table and they stick you in a table in the back after you walk through a sea of white people. Absolutely. A sea of others. Uh, absolutely. And you sitting there like a fly in buttermilk. You know, you need to know that there's, you have community, you have support. I made that girl's day. You To hustle? Oh. Yeah. Oh the, the thing I would do is, I have to tell you, for every comic book show I've ever gone to, not that hard to find the black people. No. I get everybody's card, and when I can, I buy their product. When they find out who I am, he take a phone free. Nope. You ain't going to stay in business giving away nothing free. I'll take two, and I'm paying for both of them. Okay. And those will be gifts other for pet peeves with with art and our people. Talk to the artist. You going to talk to the artist right now? <laughs> Go ahead and tell okay. them. Don't pimp yourselves. Mm. I don't care if it's your relatives. If your relatives want to support you, pay that twenty dollars. Your, your relatives are the doctors and the lawyers and the did it did it. Okay, but they're gonna say, oh, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah oh my nephew my niece some oh they draw all the time they oh yeah they, uh we'll have them we'll have them bring their stuff to the church bazaar is anybody at church bazaar gonna buy something if you didn't buy some, if you don't have something that you bought for them hanging in their house everything that you put into it if you're a poet mm -hmm. you took time to think to put the words down on paper yes how much is your hourly rate if you are a, a dancer it takes time to create that dance. When you hear the melody, the music, whatever you're dancing to, it's in your head. Them steps have to be practiced. That What is your hourly rate? Mm -hmm. For creators of all things visual for us, sculptures, and visual artists, there's materials. We were in, the, we were in, we were in um, Alternate University the other day. I didn't realize that there's a whole thing for storyboards. Oh my God. That's supplies. Mm -hmm. Crayons, pen, um, pens, whatever, markers, paint, time, your time. And developing your talent. And developing your talent. Mm -hmm. It takes time and energy. And when you have to work, 500 hours and then you still do it 
whatever you work in, whatever you work in during the day, and that's your hourly rate, what you put into your art because it's your passion mm -hmm. should be more of an hourly rate, a double that. Can I say something also about how you... An hour, it's $30 an hour for your art on okay. top of your materials, your whatever you put into it. Add all of that into it. There's a... I can't remember I heard first, but I never forgot it. Someone said, it's not called show art. It's called show business. If you don't have a clear sense of business, you don't have a business plan, you just pulling money from one, you know, from Peter to pay Paul, you need to figure out how that's going to work because then you will never see a dollar. Oh, that's never been successful because you didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. that okay. was ex you, you're saying the same thing. I had, yet again, my conversations at Comic-Con uh, with all of the different uh, panelists was one of them, the, the gentleman said to me was, if you're not, if you don't take it seriously, then no one's going to take you seriously. And so you've got to put that work in, right? You've got to, you've got to grind. You got to, yeah, okay. You put in the 500 hours. I put in the 500 hours afterwards. We, we all know that the, the artist's life is not easy if you do not have a trust fund. So a lot of us ain't out here with trusts. So you've got to, You've got to build that grind. You've got to find that time. You got to take those extra minutes. You got to sacrifice some things. And and I think that that's, I think we have to continue teaching that. I think we have to continue promoting that. I think we have to continue supporting that because and people have to, to treat us like we're seriously because yeah. um, everybody, okay, not everybody. Some people think that they're going to get a, uh, I'm going to write a book in five minutes because that's how long it took on a movie screen. Okay. Right. It was a montage and the guy was done and it was a bestseller and he made millions of dollars. Now he's living in a big house. Don't even fall for it. Okay. It's going to take the time it takes and you may never see that. It's like people who play baseball or, or football. You think you're going to the majors. God bless you. But everybody don't go. That's not the only plan you should have. Whatever your talent is, give it all you got. Okay. And you probably have more than one. Don't let nobody fool you. And there's nothing, no, nothing more gratifying than working for yourself. Oh, and knowing that you, what you put into it, you get out of it. And we, and we're winding down, but we want to say, every to everyone, we want you to register and come to DiasporaCon, presented by Culturally Lit at Quinnipiac University on Saturday, April 23rd from 12 to 6 p.m. Programming to come, look at our webpage, our Facebook page, all that, all the information will be out there for you. And we appreciate Auntie J, Julius, and Professor William Foster, our historian, and from me, Ife Michelle, Elm City Lit. Like and and subscribe. Like and subscribe us and Baobab Tree Studios TV because Rev Kev puts us out there and represents us well. So we can't forget our partner in crime. <laughs> Putting it out there, okay? Because the Baobab Tree is the, the tree that the stories were told under. Okay, so thank you all. Thank you.